Welcome to Weird Sauce, a podcast about formulas. In these conversations, I intend to rethink with you the rhythms of our lives. From the exceptional to the routine, I wander into the patterns, the alchemy of experiences, good and bad, from scientists to high achievers. Life is not a long, quiet river, so follow me upstream into the extraordinary, the storms, the mishaps, the components that may inspire you today and tomorrow. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Your health is your responsibility and that of your physician. Always seek advice from your physician before choosing any lifestyle interventions you may have heard in this podcast. Emmanuel Srovan, thank you for welcoming us into your house for this episode of Weird Sauce. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, thank you. I'm very humble and pleased to, to join you today. It's a, it's a pleasure. My name is Emmanuel. I'm uh, originally from Belgium. I've been living in Singapore for the past 20 years. I'm actually Singaporean by nationality. I'm a daddy, I'm a yogi, I'm a chef, I'm a husband, depending on what time of the day. I'm 53 years old and, uh, well, that's, that's me. Essentially, would you define yourself as a chef first or all these other things that you just said? I would describe myself as a chef first. Uh, the, my profession, my job has really taken uh, a lot of aspect into my life overall, not only as a financial part to feed the family, but really I started with a, with a real passion for what I do. I've never, actually when I started, I never considered the, the money side of, 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 the, of that aspect of, of what we do. It's, it's always been about, about passion, about food, about ingredients. Uh, it's a job which you do Actually, it's not a job. It's, it's a, if you take it as a job, you're better to do something else. It's something which you dedicate your life to. We work, I would say, today I work reasonably 12 to 13 hours a day, which is okay. In my younger day, I used to pray 15, 16 hours a day, five, six days a week sometimes. So if you don't have a passion for it, it becomes extremely taxing at many levels. So absolutely perfect transition. Um, you just talked about something that is an absolute black box for most people, including myself, which is what is the actual lifestyle demand to become a chef? So do chefs sleep well? Do they sleep when they want, do they sleep? how they want? <laughs> uh, do they eat in a manner which can sustain themselves? You just said it's a very physical work. Um, so in short, what I'm really interested in is to find out what is the, the body behind the task. And I think we talk a lot about exhaustion in other fields, exhaustion in medicine, in, in exhaustion in, in, in flying, if you're a pilot, anybody that has a shift. And in my mind, the reason why I wanted to talk with you and with people in your profession is that I wanted to find out, is a chef a shift worker? And if so, share with our audience the misconception the reality, and maybe the cost, personal cost to health, to, if that happened to you, if it didn't, did you see it happen to other people? Well, there's a lot of, <laughs> let's start. Um, first of all, I would say there's, there is not, 
the only thing I can refer to is my own experience. I, I can't talk for, for, for everybody. I mean, in the industry, you have so, different, so many different backgrounds. I come from, from a background, my personal background is just I started, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to do criminology, and I fell in love with food because I come from a reasonably humble background in terms of you know, social life, and I need to pay for my studies. And I started as a cleaner. I started washing pots in the restaurants. That's how I started. So it never occurred to me. It's not like a childhood dream. I'll be a chef. I've seen Gordon Ramsay on TV and I want to be... This never been me. I just fall into it by accident. But what I loved about it was, I would think, the, the martial discipline, which is required if you want to succeed in pretty much anything you want to do in life, not only a chef. I mean, if you're an athlete or an artist, it requires that, that mental and that physical discipline to achieve anything you want to do in life. So without that, I would say that, that would be my first point. Disregarding whatever you're going to do, chef, whatever, if you don't have that real strong willpower to want to go where you want to go, you won't get there. You won't get that. But wouldn't you say that you could get there by cocaine, drugs? Uh, if you're 17, if you're 18, there is never any death, right? There is none. We it don't die. Exist. So we live forever. So how do you think that you got this idea that you were going to have to link the way you live to where you want to go? And did you do that or not? And in your circle, are there people who simply don't have this awareness? I would say in my case, I would put the, the luck factor coming a lot into it. It's a, it's a chance for me. I, I, I was lucky. I, okay, so imagine 16, 15 years old, uh, you're pretty much on the street in Europe. We are back in the 80s. And uh, for me, I often say cooking saved my life because, you know, you, you meet people talking about drugs, talking about things like this, and your life is still very much on the verge of. And I could imagine that I would have gone into the same path, chances are I would have fallen very shortly after that. So discovering cooking to me was just taking me out of the street and saying, okay, this is a discipline which you need to, to pay and to, to you know, really do it 24-7 with your mindset into it. Without that aspect, it couldn't work. But why I say it saved my life, because I had people who, you know, you have to wake up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. to go to work. It's not the time where you can say, okay, well, today I'm not coming to work because the day after you come twice late with my restaurant, you don't come the third time. And there is that kind of physical discipline which is implemented with a job. Um, I started as a young chef, I imagine, so, you know, you, you cook for hours and hours and hours. Most of the time you start your life as an apprentice, 16, 17, 18, around there, which is... 20 sometime when you're a little bit late, which is my case. And then this is a life where you find yourself into an environment of, it's a, it's a hard physical environment. It's a men's environment. We have very little, unfortunately, very little female chef. Not to say we've got none, and we've got certainly some very talented. But it has to be, it used to be very much a kind of men's kind of environment where it's tough, you know, the guy with tattoo, we smoke, we, we go party, and uh, up to about, Maybe 12, 15 years ago, I had motorbikes, I had uh, partying was part of my life. I would, I would go out probably at least four times a week, if not five. Uh, it was a bottle of vodka a night. It was, it was a kind of life which you were leading because you walk so long, Saturday night. 
It's just like, this, I'm not going to go home and sleep. It's not part of the possible thing. My body is so much, there's so much energy to, to, to extract out of the body. There's so much uh, things, so, so, much, so many things happening in your mind. And first thing I wanted to go is, well, okay, let's have a drink. First, you need to drink fast because you start later than all your friends who have started partying at 7 or 8 p.m. So you reach them by midnight, so you need to catch up. So you drink very, very fast. That's a funny thing. And then if you are with... A group of chefs, it's always, you know, we've got this big mouth, you're a big guy, so you're the kind of macho man, and then, you know, try to impress the other, and I smoke cigar, and I smoke this. It, this is a kind of life which, which a lot of time we, we lead, and I see that today, we, I stopped, but I see that with my, with my team, which is much younger than me, and my head chef is 32 years old. So that was a time where I, like, I would go and party and have fun and, and enjoy life. It would be a life where I would say 70% of everything was about work, we finish or we start, let's, let's, let's take a day, we start a late day, we start at 9 a.m. That's a, that's a late start. Most of the time, more 8 and 9, but 9 would be the latest one. Do you eat breakfast? <laughs> Is your breakfast a vodka? <laughs> well, okay. A heroin shot, a cocaine shot. I'm not asking for <laughs> what happened to you personally. I'm just saying um, in your industry, without naming names, and it's not about shame, no. or it's not I, about I morals. I'm just trying that, to understand. I wouldn't say that breakfast is really the most important part of the day. We have, uh, we, you know, when you work in that environment, the music, you get that adrenaline dragging you. And sometimes the way we eat, again, I can only talk to me and to the experience I went through, but I would say maybe one meal a day, uh, it would be mid-afternoon, in between, it would be occasionally, you know, oh, a plate of cheese comes back with a little bit of bread which has been untouched, a small piece of cheese which has been half eaten, or, I mean, clean cut. I would probably have that as a, as a little bite. Very uh, much still today, I have to admit. Because we don't really have the time to, to sit down and have a proper meal. It's very rare. I try to implement it for the past six, seven years now in the restaurant. So I try to have... When people arrive, there is always cereals, there's always fruits, uh, there's always something to eat in the morning, something healthy. I mean, we've got coffees, of course, a lot of coffee in our life, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then um, at three o'clock, three, four, when the last uh, table leaves for lunch, we will then try to take a break and sit down. So one of us will cook for the rest of the team. And again, it really depends. If we've got time to cook, we will do it. Decent meal, meaning like, you know, a decent meal would be some form of meat, some form of vegetables, and some form of starch, that's it. And uh, if we don't have time, it would be a big bowl of pasta with whatever we have on the, on the table, a bit of tomato here, some chopped carrot. Oh, chef, I've got some funnel left because I did a funnel stock earlier, and we put it together and we make like a make-do kind of, kind of thing. And that's, that's pretty much the meal we have. Um, so, so did you think did you think at this point that what you were doing every day had an impact on what happened when you show up in the kitchen? Are you is are you tired? Are you with it? Can you be creative? Did you even think about this or not at all? No. At the beginning, to be very honest, uh, I've always been <clears throat> very focused on health for, for a long time. But the first few years Why? of my professional life why? Because I've lost most of my family through cancer, diabetes, and stuff like this. And I realized that there is a very important point between what the body absorbs and the, the way the body reacts to it. So I realized also being a chef, I have somehow a role to play in what I put into my body. And if I want to be leading a team a long time, uh, again, if I want to sustain the life of you know, 
16 hours a day, six days a week, blah, 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 blah. I've been doing this for 35 years. Uh, you need to have the stamina to do it, but you also cannot sustain only on coffee, alcohol, and cigarettes. It's, it's at some stage something to give up. I've lost last year a friend, exactly my age, from cancer, which is dragged for about a year because of the way he was living. He would, pack, he would smoke three packets of cigarettes a day, which is normal for a chef because that's what we do. Um, you know, we, we, I don't think we come as the most healthy uh, group or the healthiest category you can think when you think of chefs. We tend to drink easily because it's accessible for us. We always have alcohol floating around. Could it be cooking alcohol? To extreme cases of some alcoholic chefs, which I knew. Uh, I worked when I was an apprentice. I remember doing shifts with a chef, two Michelin star. I won't name him. Two, I mean, he would take 24 beer with one, one crate of beer for, per shift. Per shift, and he wouldn't get drunk. I remember him opening up with so we had one crate of beer, 24 bottles. That would be one shift for him. He um, was a big guy, <laughs> clearly. And in my case, I, uh, uh, once, I would say, you know, I opened the restaurant 20 years ago, started to do okay after two, three years, and the, the success of the restaurant is, uh, there's many factors, but I, I don't want to take the limelight for this. But it was just a fact, and it, it started to, in French, we say mayonnaise start to, <laughs> start to monter. take, monter, exactly. And um, it's, it's not always easy to manage because, you know, you've got money coming, you've got fame coming, you've got access to a lot of things, which, again, I've got a fairly humble background. It, I didn't know how to manage that. It, it's not something which came naturally. Um, so what came with that to me was some excesses, I would say, you know, excess in alcohol, specifically in my case. I, I realized after a few years and I would wake up in the morning and start shivering. And that's a day in my life when I say this is not normal. It's not something which should happen. Um, you can react different ways when you realize something like this. You can say, well, too bad and I keep going because you don't really care about it. And in my case, I repeat, I've always been kind of health conscious, even if I was drinking, even if I was working crazy hours and things like this, I was still making sure that I would spend at least an hour to do some form of sport. It's like personal. What? Anything, specifically boxing in my case. So I boxed for many years because, okay, I suffer of ADHD. That's one of my, my things. And not knowing that back then, I realized that by taking an hour in the morning, the first thing in the morning, I would go and either hit the ball or train for a match or something like this. It would really help me to keep some form of balance. You see a lot of times chefs on TV screaming and scolding people and using the word and all those things happening all the time, which is, which is a reality. It is the way it is. I did my apprenticeship in a place which was, it was a war. Every shift was a war. There was nothing else. We could be treated from any name, I mean, in terms of insult, in terms of like pushing guys down. That was the way we were trained. And I started like this, to be honest, also, when I first opened Saint-Pierre, we are back in 2000, I've lost twice my whole entire team in a row, twice, bam. Everybody resigned and left. I said, um, I'm right, I know what I do, they cannot take, you know, they, it's here, we say they cannot, they cannot sustain my, my, my mood and my energy, too bad for them, let them go, let's take a second team. Second team, same story. When you start looking at yourself, say, maybe, maybe I should cool down a bit because maybe those guys are not used to be treated the same way that I was treated. Of course, we in Asia, there's some form of respect, some words we shouldn't be using or some way of speaking to people, which is quite important, I think. And you learn that <laughs> on the way. But um, 
I've also realized that by cooling down or by, you know, taking a step back, I could see things. I wouldn't be reacting straight away to something happening. I would take a couple of very funny anecdotes or things which happened back then. I was serving caviar and the lady, one of my guests, asked for Tabasco. Tabasco with caviar to me is like, it's like putting, I don't know, cheese on the spaghetti marinara from an Italian chef. That's things you do not do in the kitchen. I opened my, there was an open kitchen window and I opened the window and I said, who's the idiot who looked for Tabasco with caviar? I closed the window and I thought, I'm so... And I lost a client, I lost a sale, I lost everything. That's where you realize, and sometimes your reactions are always, from a chef point of view, you know, big head, bit of a bit of ego going on, and don't always react to the brightest way. Let's put it this way. On, um, I'm jumping guns, but what helped me really to take a step back, I discovered yoga. I discovered yoga completely by accident. So you're asking me what exercise I'm doing. I used to box. Um, I boxed as an amateur for 20 over years almost. And then at certain age in federations, you can box after 34 years, whatever. You can box, uh, you can now go on the ring from an amateur point of view. But they created something called the white collars. The white collar is a competition for older people. And uh, I used to train for the white collar. And in the place where I was training, there was a guy giving a yoga class with music. I love music. And the music was like, I really like the music he was playing during the yoga class. I've never ever thought about doing a yoga class. For me, it was something for, not for me. <laughs> it wasn't for me. And well, let's try yoga class. So I tried a yoga class and I could barely, you know, touch below my knee. And I think it's not for me, it's not for me. But for some strange reason, there was something about yoga which, I don't know why, it just inspired me. And I started, we are back almost 15 years ago, but I started something that was very hot back then, it was hot yoga. And I started doing hot yoga. I was hooked after two or three classes. I, every single day I had to practice, I had to practice. That kind of physical practice really helped me to release all that energy. I would use the word aggressivity, which was there. So we are chef. We work with a lot of, of passion, a lot of energy. We try to express that through our food. But it's not always easy because it's, you know, you only see the results of a plate coming from a client point of view, that's it. But there is all those things that are going behind from stress between the supplies. We are in Asia, we don't always have the supply, you know, 16 hours away from home. So when you want to bring a, I don't know, a liter of creme fraiche or a cheese and because you sold that to a client and it didn't arrive, that's a lot of stress. Why did it arrive? Uh, you might have people not showing up, or people coming late, part of your team, your team of five people, two guys do not show up. You've got half your team down. It's, it's very hard because you still need to produce the same kind of food. Um, you're going to have, well, we have to start early. I like to do marketing. I used to do marketing every single day, so I used to go to the market in the morning. And uh, sometimes you've got people coming late, they don't realize, and we already work for 12 hours, you're at 9 p.m., and oh, I'm going to get the degustation menu, and by the time they're done, it's 1 a.m. And like, well, you cannot say, hey guys, uh, I'm sorry, it's 1 a.m., I want to go sleep. You just have to service those guys and making sure. So by the time you're home, it's like now 2 a.m., and at 8 a.m., you're on the market. And that's pretty much the life you need to, to cope with for a long time. If you don't think about it and take a step back and think, okay, that cannot be sustainable for a long period of time. It can be good for a few years when you're young. It's because what? Because you fear that you will not be able to be there, that something really dramatic will happen physically and you won't be able to sustain the business? I think the physical part is very important, yes, because we all know. Okay, so it's not 
no offense to what you say, but it's not an office job where you are eight hours behind a computer seated on a chair. It's a job where you are on your legs, uh, running, lifting things. Uh, if you, I'm sure everybody has seen TV shows about chefs. And what you see on TV, it is really much what happens. There is that aspect. There is the fact that quite often I find chefs, I would use the word a bit lonely. It's hard to get a social life when you work Saturday night, Friday night, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, Christmas, Christmas, I mean, pretty much when people have fun, you don't, you are working. So we have a very special social life. And that's why sometimes I see, you know, oh, that chef kills himself or there wasn't something happened like this. I'm not always surprised. Let's put it this way. I'm not always like, oh my God, how come? Well, it's tough life. It's a physical life, which is hard, but the psychological part of it sometimes, you know, Again, I go to very, something very personal. I'm divorced. I've remarried 20 years ago. I have the greatest wife and the greatest kids, and I'm so happy. But that divorce happened because, well, I was at work 16 hours a day. I was at home, not eight hours, because between the work and home, you still need to let go. So I would go and drink and party for two, three hours before I go home. I sleep three, four hours, and I go back to work. My wife never sees me. And then, of course, there's a problem at the end with the couple. Why? Well, you know, I marry you. I would like to spend a bit of time with you. Then. Me, I think, and married the restaurant. Second time, I didn't make the same mistake. I make her work with me, so we spend a bit more time together. But um, it was it was hard. It was very, very hard because you, you invest so much of yourself, and at the end of the day, you don't have a social circle. Today, with electronic, you've got you know whatever application you want to name. Uh, you've got a bit more of a connection with people, but is it is it really a meaningful connection? Oh, I have 65 likes. Yes, is it really something which is Spiritually, is it, is it fulfilling? I'm not sure. Um, and on top of it, in my generation, we are not born with social media. So for me, I take it a bit like, I don't really care. I know some of my young guys, like, you know, the Instagram, they're, they're on it. As soon as the plate goes, they would just check. It's, just, it, it's very interesting to see so, how it implicates. Right. But a lot of people are going to sit here, like I would if I was listening to this, and I would think, oh, but, you know, this guy is like a two-star Michelin. He's got all the things in his hand. He's got lots and lots of resources. He's learned a lot. You know, he's made successful um, enterprise, not even in his own country of origin. I mean, the guy has got probably tons of resources that I don't have. So I'm sitting here and I'm hearing, um, you know, how to get this insightfulness about myself when I don't have the sort of resources that this person I've had, or maybe I don't have the motivation this person have, or maybe I don't have the, the energy that this person have. So do you think there is part of you that said a lot of it is luck or a lot of it is like, did somebody come up to you and said, you continue like this, you're going to crash, you're going to lose your business, you're going to lose your marriage before you lost it. Um, so how can you help people listen to this, make it doable for them with the amount of experience that you've got under your hood and the it's a, journey. It's a six hour podcast, right? We've got time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, right. I got time. I know you don't, but I have time. So, yeah. So make it achievable, make it reachable. If only in, like, okay, I don't have this great job. I don't have a lot of people around. I can't ask help. What's the difference? What can they do themselves that you did and you feel you did it by yourself? First thing which comes 
as an answer would be, we always have a choice. We always have a choice. It can be, if you don't think you're happy with the job you have now, you can always quit and even do nothing for two months. I don't know. I believe in, I believe that something up there which helps people when they really look for it and they want, when they want it. It's, you know, I don't think I started lucky. I think I started like when we started the restaurant, uh, Dina and I, we work for a full year uh, and live, very often when we talk about it, we laugh, we say, we live like rats for a year. I couldn't take a taxi, that was too expensive. It's not that you didn't earn enough money, but I really wanted to save as much as I could for a year. So that was my starting point. It's not like I started with a million dollars in my pocket and said, okay, well, I'll take that location. I look at the most, I wouldn't say the cheapest location, but the best value for money location. When we started the restaurant, every second, everything was second hand. I, I, I spent a month, two months, three months to go to all kinds of shops to look for second hand cutlery, second hand plates, second hand stove, second hand everything. We, I'll be very honest, we put $80,000 aside in one year with my wife, living without spending anything, no holiday, no restaurants, no nothing. We just save, save, save. I, I had an aim to open and I was extremely fortunate to have my in-laws who helped me. Again, I give numbers, they give me 50% of what I needed to be able to open the restaurant. Without them, I would not have been able to open. So when you say people hear us and maybe they don't have the resources. Today, I think the world is different. I realize that there are a lot of things can be done without so much money to start with. I even think that it is, I may not be agreeing with a lot of people, but it seems even easier now than it used to be in my days. My days, everything was what it was. Today, you want to start a business, you have an idea. Do something on your laptop, on your computer, on your phone, you can start something. Everybody can talk about you today. When I started my restaurant and there was no Facebook, Instagram, stuff like this, we had to go to bring the journalist in. Today is very different. You have a good idea, you are an instant star on YouTube within 15 minutes. So there are a lot of things. What we need from you is a good idea, something which you believe in and you are going to fight for it. But you said something else. You said, oh, maybe I don't have your willpower. This might be a problem, because if you don't have that grit, then it's very hard to succeed. I think if there's one word which comes to me when it comes to success, is that fact that you have an idea, you want something, and you want it so bad, and you will not let go anything until you achieve it. That kind of, you know, you hold on it, disregarding what happens to you. Restaurant business is not always easy. We go up, down, with crisis, I close some, I have lost some restaurants, I sold some. Um, but into any businesses, it's the same. It's not only us, and it's sometimes so hard. But if you don't have that, yeah, that grit, that, that real will to, to, to stand, disregarding what, what it costs you. Now, it's always a question, how much am I willing to pay for it? As I repeat, it cost me my first marriage. But I was willing to let it go because I wanted to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Now, Looking at it from a different aspect, and you just say, oh, that guy's too Michelin star, stuff like this, quite great. But it's the other side, you need to maintain it. I would say something else as an answer. The problem to me is not to achieve the first step on the podium, it's to stay there. Achieving the first step on the podium, we just talk about it. I mean, you can be an instant YouTuber, 15 minutes of fame, great. Stay there. And even great artists, I'm thinking Madonna because I grew up with her in the 80s, she was famous, and she's a great person, I love her, I really like, as a person, she's an amazing woman. 
Now, today, nobody speaks about Madonna. I think my kids, which is 12, probably doesn't know who Madonna is. I take Madonna as an example. I'm sure there's hundreds of other cases. So the question is not so much to achieve it, it's to maintain it. That's the hard part. So I'm hearing uh, it's hard to get there. I'm it's hearing it's there. possibly even harder to stay there. I think so. I think the problem is there. So hence, the, now I'm linking to the first part of our conversation. You can't be an idiot and trying to stay there all the time. There is some form of discipline. I mean, it is simple common sense. If you drink two liters of alcohol a day and smoke three packets of cigarettes a day, chances are at some stage your body to give, starting to give up. So at some stage in your life, not too late hopefully for you, you need to realize it. And depending how you realize it, I was very lucky, I've realized it through other people. I didn't realize it through my own eyes. What do I want to say? I, was, I didn't wait to be sick to start to make a shift into my life. I've realized, oh man, that guy fell. Oh, that guy fell as well. Oh, this guy is falling as well. I might be next. Why did they fall? Oh, because drinking. Oh, that. So that woke me up. That, that scared me almost, I would say. Is there a time when it's too late? Because you're, I'm hearing you didn't fall off the cliff. I think there are times when it's too late, yes. There are times where it's too late. There are times where some people are just so far into it that they don't care about climbing again. That's how I see. You know, when I was boxing, one of the things I often say to my guys, we don't ever judge a guy who falls. We judge how fast he stands back and fights again. And that's very often what I see. I see very often, specifically in my profession, chefs, it's such a hard job. At some stage, they will just give up. It's too hard. And they will start selling insurance or do something else, whatever it is. The ones who are successful, obviously, are not the ones who gave up. You cannot. So did somebody come up to you? In your, it's a super competitive environment. So in that way, it's so similar to other competitive environments. Medicine, culture medicine is very much like that. At some point, did you have one of your competitor, your colleagues, who came up to you and you say, you know, Emmanuel, this is the way to do it. If you want to really clean yourself up, you're going to have to clean yourself up. Or was it really like, hey man, you're all there by yourselves. You make it work whichever way. There's really no support or no mentorship. Or you got to keep up with the appearances here. You've got to keep this culture going. We can't look weak. We can't look like we're not, for lack of a better word, manly enough. Because you said it's a very manly culture. So I'm just curious as to, did you get some sort of internal wake-up call from someone who had been there before, some, someone who was watching you and said, maybe you need to sleep better, maybe you need to stop taking you know, booze every night, maybe you need to clean yourself up? No, I didn't have someone who came to me. I can't, rem or I can't remember it, if, if, and I think you would have like, struck me. Um, mentorship comes for my wife, strangely enough. She's very down to earth. As much as I'm, we, we, we always compare, as much as I'm round, she's square. I'm, I'm an artist, that's how I see myself. She is more uh, down to earth. She's more the money-driven person. Say, hey, you need to save money because next week we have this, or you need to making sure that you save enough money to get your kids to university, which to me wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it. They're six years old, university is like 12 years. I don't even think about it. And then you advance in your life and you realize, well, I'm not 30 anymore. I'm like, whoa, I need to start thinking about 
you know, and that's pretty much how it happens. I repeat to me one also another thing which have clicked with me was that, that yoga thing, which is starting, started to me as a physical practice. I was boxing, moved to hot practice and hot yoga, really helped me uh, physically, detox I imagine. And then I decided that that was my own decision to go and dive a little bit more into it. And then I had someone who came to me, another teacher, yoga teacher, who said, well, you know, yoga is not only the physical practice, there is something behind it which is a bit more spiritual. I was like, okay, fine. I, I was not much into spirituality, to be very flat, nothing at all. And then I discovered a side of life which I, like, never thought existed or never even considered. And that's where I started meditation, I started, you know, mindfulness, I started practicing uh, what what I'm what I still do today and that really helped me to move on from addiction of alcohol or even addiction of cigarettes uh, from that kind of entering the kitchen and screaming at every people I'm gonna take a very interesting example in the past day you know we, we've got the past a waiter will take the tray with the food and for any reason it's a little bit slippery he drops the tray not an accident he doesn't do it because he's unhappy it just it's just an accident my reaction would probably be in the kitchen to bang my head on the table as much as I can until I really have too much pain to keep banging. My vein would pop up. I probably will go to the whole entire repertoire of insult I could think of until I express myself, screaming my lungs out. And that would be the reaction I would have. So what do I bring here? I scream like a, like a donkey. It's great. The waiter must be freezing like this because he must be so scared of me. The plate is still on the floor. There's still a mess everywhere. And I'm not progressing. Nothing's happening positively. What have I bring? What did I bring? Nothing. Today, with the practice, meditation, a little bit older, things like this, what I do, the same accident would happen. I would take a step back and the first thing which comes was that guy didn't drop it on purpose. He's still on the floor. But then I start to be proactive, cleaner, clean the thing. Waiter, go tell the client, you're gonna wait 10 minutes. Chef, start a new steak in the pan. Bam, 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 bam. And now we start to have things moving on. So I realized that that practice helps me, first of all, in my own, you know, I'm a bit more, <laughs> I don't risk a heart attack each time something happens in the restaurant, but also brings really an environment where people are, I wouldn't say not scared to make mistakes, well, we all make mistakes, but there is that kind of, you can take a step back. You will never be able to control what things life will throw to you. It can be horrible things, the death of a very close person, an accident in the car, it could be anything. COVID. COVID, very good example, COVID. You cannot control that, but what you can control is how you react to it. That's definitely something which you can control. So I go back on what you just said to me. You say, oh, you have people watching us and say, I don't have that luck, I don't have that money, I don't have that two star, I don't have that will. No, but you still learn how to control your reaction. It's something which you can learn. You can learn how to ride, you can learn how to ride a bicycle, you can learn how to control your reaction through whatever mean suits you. I mean, there's not one size fits all. Me, it was meditation, it was my pranayama, it was that kind of, of, of thing which I do on a daily basis today but that really changed my life. And I think by changing my own life, it has changed people surrounding me because I find that the house is much quieter now when I come. It's not like, I, don't go, ah, yeah, yeah. I come back, I'm happy to see people. You bring some form of happiness and it's, you know, it, it, it's this kind of circle which happens. So I go back on another question you asked me, have you seen people falling and why can't they go back? Because there is this kind of spiral and until you hit 
bottom, it's very hard to go back. And unfortunately, it really often happens to people, then they will hit through something which happened to them. Oh, you've just been detected with a cancer. I'm sorry for you. Ah, <gasps> I have a cancer. My God, maybe I should stop eating chips and hamburger and smoking. Yes, you should. And unfortunately, that was your wake-up call. And if you're lucky, it's a good time. If you are forced to, and it's too late, it may happen. Both sides may happen. That's why I said it's not sometimes. Or you can have that reaction, say, well, you know, I've got two months or three years or whatever. I may keep, keep going, enjoy it as much as I can. Or you can say, well, I've got kids. I want them to, I want to see them growing. I'll do something about it. And it's where the self-discipline then happens. So for the people who are listening to this um, and not watching you on YouTube, I think I want to say something, which is you don't look like a chef. So if I can describe to the people who are listening to this on audio, is that it's not a judgment, but you don't look like what people's imagination of chefs here are. So you've obviously put a lot of effort into your physicality, your fit, you know, in this age group that you're in, you're probably in the upper quartile of that group. I'm guessing you spend a lot of time thinking also about what you eat, or at least sufficient amount of time. So, um, I'll stop you one second. I want to say sure. something important. I don't think a lot about what I eat, I think about how I eat. What do you mean? I can't eat well because of my job. Yeah, no, I shouldn't say that because I run a restaurant. In <laughs> but <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is we often eat, you know, whatever leftover there is. Uh, some, it's rare when I sit down to eat because I very often eat on the, on, on the, on the, on the go. But what I really try to pay attention to when I eat, I eat. I really focus on it. I make sure that I really pay attention to whatever is going to go in my mouth, that taste, that texture. Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it... And I really try to, to think about it. I see a lot of my younger people. They will sit down, and today they sit down. Part of the culture, you've got the fork, the knife, the spoon, the phone. And I see young couples coming to the restaurant, having great dinners, spend $1,000 for two of them, and they just have zero conversation. They just, uh, I don't know what they do, but they just like, so what do you do? You burst out of the kitchen, you grab their phone, you run like a madman, you throw the no, phone in the water? No, I hammer, I just slash it. No. <laughs> no, I don't do anything. Do you ban do phone in your restaurant? Do you ban phone in your restaurant? No, Do you I think can't. phone should be banned no. from a certain experience? No. It's, you know, phone, it's like money, it's like guns. I mean, there's, it's what you do with it. It's not the phone which is responsible. The phone on its own is actually quite practical. You can do a lot of things with it and so, a lot of positive things about it. You can have a conversation with a man, you can say a name of somebody, and I say, oh, let me search about it. It happened recently. I had a, somebody who talked to me about a guy called Tim Ferriss. Yes. All right? And I, I've never heard of Tim Ferriss. Really? All right? Never heard of him. My silly me. I'm not, again, I'm not very much into social things. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, spend yeah. much time on TV. I don't watch. I'm very much into my own little world. And I like to Tim Ferriss with it. I, oh, this and this and this. And I, wow, oh. Seems very interesting. So now in my car, I've got half an hour of transit between my house and the restaurant every day. Half an hour to go, half an hour to come back. I listen to one podcast a day, and it really changed my life. He's going to love this plug. Because he's very big on YouTube. It really changed my life. The way he talks about things, the little tips he gives. So it's a guy who has understood that if you want to please and make people happier, you just need himself to get the right thing for himself and then pass it around. It's the same case. You say, I am looking the way I look, simply because I believe, and you know, 
Would you go to a hairdresser which has a hairstyle which you dislike a lot and think it looks stupid? Most people do, I think. They don't even think about it. To me, Maybe I would, I'm go, wrong, I right? would go to somebody which I respect. I would go to somebody which inspires me. So um, let's meet. I believe in health because part of the job I do today involves food. You're a doctor. 80%, 90% of anything which is cardiovascular diseases could be fixed through the food we eat, through how we eat it. Are we eating so fast, gobbling the thing without even swallowing, without even chewing it? And oh, suddenly, after five years of eating that way, I realize and I've got an ulcer, I've got some problem. Yes, you don't have teeth there. It's not supposed to chew your food. Your food is supposed to be chewed there. But no, no one on the phone. I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about what I'm putting in my mouth. And then because I don't think about it, I still put things. And I'm suddenly I realize I put on weight because you don't give your brain the time to think that, hey, I had enough food. Brain sends a signal, stop eating, you have enough food. No, <laughs> because I'm watching my whatever I'm watching. That's why I'm saying how you eat is more important than what you eat. I would think that it's more important. I would prefer my children to have a great time, six, eight of them here eating a McDonald's, and I hate myself for saying this, but having a great time here, conversation, talking, laughing, da da da, rather than to have a salad where they all into their phone and they're not addressed to each other. Mm, interesting. Because I think that McDonald's will be adopted through the. It's, it's a happy intake from the body point of view. So you actually think that the technology, or I, okay, let's call it technology, it's just a phone. But you actually view the phone just as toxic as toxic ultra-processed food in some ways. It has two sides like everything else. And yet you don't think that you could legitimately or given your value, say, to your clients? Clients, no. I couldn't. I couldn't because I deal with business people who need their phone because of, because of the profile of my clients. I deal with schools. I take schools. So I, I, I've always been interested into education and specifically school canteen because the younger you can train them, the more they can understand about food. Uh, at school, one of the things I always say to the kids, electronics off the table. For the kids, I can impose it. No electronic. I grew up. As a kid, there was no iPhone, there was nothing of those. And for me, breakfast was the most important. That family would go there. That was a time around that table where we would pass recipe from, you know, daughter to sister to mothers. That was a conversation. How was your day yesterday? I mean, there was a life. It was illegal not to have breakfast. <laughs> I'm just kidding, obviously. But what I'm trying to say is my dad would impose everybody to sit down and have a breakfast where we had no electronic, we had conversations, and we could talk about food or we could talk about drinks. I remember dining with my, they were adults, I was a kid, and I remember them having conversation on wines, which is very funny because today I remember what they were saying, they were talking about some mm. specific burgundy makers and stuff like this, that really left a big, deep imprint in me. I was seven or eight, they were talking about big names of, of winemakers, and today I run a wine is 35% of my revenue, so it's very important to me. And um, today, that little, aspect of having conversation around the table really helped me in my future life, strangely enough. The fact that uh, we teach children from an early age is crucial. It's crucial because today the food we're eating, the food we're having access to has changed a lot, specifically in the past 50 years. Uh, 50 years ago, there were 3.5 billion people living on the planet. Today, there's over 7 billion, and we need to feed these people. And unfortunately, we produce food which is not of the same quality today than it used to be before. And I think we see it 
on any kind of diseases we can see specifically food related. And again, anything which is to me cardiovascular has to do with food, pretty much anything. I think food today imply more crimes and guns and, and car accidents put together. That's a really powerful way to say it. But it is For true. most people, that would be it a is, very powerful is, metaphor. It is what we eat, it is a product we put in our body. And I've been vegetarian 12 years. I dream of eating exclusively organic. I can't, unfortunately. It's, it's not something which is technically possible, except if I would grow everything into my garden, but garden is not big enough, unfortunately. And again, when it comes to organic, I always smile with that. And if you don't watch it, but I'm smiling when I'm saying it, is that different countries have different rules or different way of naming or labeling organic. So read and double read your, your packaging sometimes because it's not because it's written organic and it's 100% organic and 100% good for you. No, but so serious way, I would say it's important to spend a little bit more time on what we put in our body. Earlier on, we were talking about sleeping. And that's also an interesting part. When I was in my 20s, I, well, I didn't really think ever about how many hours am I sleeping. I've, it never occurred to me. In the 30s, probably not much either. Today, I realize, and I'm, because my kids wake up at 6 and I have to drop them at school by 7, I realize and I myself need to be up by 6.30 to be ready. And I try to make a point to go sleep before midnight. So it's not always an easy task with the job I'm doing. I'm lucky today with COVID, we had to close the restaurant a bit earlier, so it's not a bad thing for, for, for the sleeping time. But I also realized in a lot of time I go back home and I would waste hours on non-producing things, thinking, that, you know, oh, I've got the right, I deserve, I have this uh, entitlement to watch two hours of TV before I go to bed. When I realize, on the other hand, and if I go back work, I have a good shower and I start meditating before I go to bed, I gain an hour and a half, which I can gain in the morning. What I achieve in the morning from 6.30 a.m. till 9 a.m. when my guy starts in the kitchen, I achieve, I, I'm at work at 7.30 a.m. I'm at work at 7.30 a.m. I could be an hour and a half in the office. I can clear all my admin without being distracted by anybody coming to annoy me. I'm alone in the office because it's early, <clears throat> because I make an effect to switch off my WhatsApp, my blah, 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 because you are distracted all the time. I said earlier, I'm suffering of ADHD. So I'm like a puppy into a park with squirrel running around. You put me into a, an accounting meeting and I'm going to talk about tax and my brain is going to go, okay, what do we eat tonight? How many potatoes did I order? The, I, I think about everything except about the conversation, which is extremely annoying for my partners, I would imagine, because they need my attention and they try to pass me a message and, you know, uh, we are going a bit in the red here, your food cost is too high and da, 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 and your HR. And, and I'm not interested because my brain works this way. I also realize that this is something which I need to think of from an I don't like to watch the word entrepreneur, that doesn't suit me. I like the word solopreneur. solopreneur. Mm -hmm. I, I do things for me and unfortunately or fortunately for people, they had to come with me. Uh, so today, if I put the whole team together, maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 of us to run the, the, the business and we downgrade it, we, in 2012, 13, we had about 250 employees. So it was, we, we downgraded on, on, on we, we decided to do it, it's not an accident. Um, I wanted to come to the point that sleeping and having good night's sleep, when I wake up in the morning, I have such a clearer mind and I can see my day. I can really plan and see how things are going to happen. 
it's really changed my life. I, I used to party and you go back, it's 3 a.m. and you wake up and you're at 7, 8 or whenever you wake up half still with a, you know, the leftover from last night kind of thing. And you can't run a business effectively or efficiently. If you can do it because you're an extremely lucky, smart, educated, whatever person, which is my case, uh, then you will probably lack everything else in your life. Now, a message to pass maybe to, to, to whoever is listening to this is, life is not confined into one specific compartment. It's not, okay, I'm super successful at work, which happened, we, we see it today, we see amazing successful people, but you still see people either committing suicide or into depression with millions of dollars in the bank account. That's extremely successful, but they'll define success. What is success? Is it how much money you have in your bank account or is it how many likes you have on your Instagram and you put a picture of your socks or a picture of, 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 of something which nobody really cares about, but because you've got 500,000 people following your you. Your socks on your cat, yeah. that would work. Or your breakfast, another one. Um, so, well, take that pause. Take that pause. I think that that's a very nice moment to think about something that I think everybody's thinking about right now. If, if we're situating this podcast, so we're in Singapore. We are at the very beginning of 2021. Um, since we human on Earth, we all went through this washing machine of 2020. Um, someone like you has been going through, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm guessing, a cycle of the washing, which is even more stressful than a lot of other profession. Um, so talk about how has this year been uh, from where you are. Talk about some of your colleagues who may not be in the same region. And though it is a long sentence, then talk about what the year after this year looks like for you as a profession and for you as a, as a person? COVID was, uh, well, COVID took us all by surprise, obviously. It's, it's interesting because it shows an aspect of what I believe in, uh, to answer your first, the first part of your question. I'm very, in yoga, we call it santosha. It's, it's been happy with what you have. It's, recognizing and thanking the fact that being in Singapore, when I compare to my colleagues in Europe, in US, in UK, wherever they are, I am extremely fortunate. Again, it's an aspect of, of life which is interesting. I, I drive car. When I'm stuck into a, a jam, a traffic jam, I used to, I would bite my wheel. I would horn as much as I can. I would go my, with my engine going rum, rum, like this. Today, I look at it and I'm stuck into a jam and I say, well, I'm stuck in it anyway. All right, so whatever I'm going to do, jumping on, the, on, the, on, on the, <laughs> the horn will not make that jam disappear. I'm better to take a step back and think, okay, well, let's make something out of it. So listen to Tim Ferriss, <laughs> for instance, or read a book, or call my mom, or call somebody, or do something which you can do now because you're stuck anyway, instead of screaming. It's the same with COVID. It's something which, as I say, nobody really could see happening, and we all, it all came the same way for everybody. It's not a situation where you can say, I've decided me, COVID will not affect me. It has affected everybody. Because it affects everyone, we just need to look at it from the best part we can take of it. So it happened for me in 
couple of phases. The first one was it happened at a terrible moment in our case, but again, I'm not the less fortunate. Uh, we just opened a new restaurant in January when we had to close everything in February. And in the same time, I just reinvested a reasonably large amount of money into the main restaurant. And we were supposed to open in January. Uh, we opened in February, like everybody else. And then we closed in March. So that was, that was a terrible time. What did I do earlier about it? The first thing I would say, I frankly didn't mind the beginning of it because I was home. We were all in the, it's not a lockdown in Singapore. It was called a circuit breaker. But we spent two months at home. In my 35 years of career, I've never put my kids to bed more than two times in a row when I've got two days off. So for the first time in my life, I could have a little bit of time to spend with the family, a little bit of time to hey, look at my house and realize that that part is a bit of a mess. I could spend a bit of time gardening. It didn't affect me much. The reason why it didn't affect me much is also because none of us knew how long it will go. I, at the beginning, I, I think we all thought it would be another SARS, uh, something like, you know, two weeks, three weeks, and it's gone. But clearly, it wasn't the case. It's only when we realized how deep we would go into this, and I started really panicking with the business, thinking, oh, oops, I think it's not only Singapore. It looks like it's going to be also the neighborhoods, and then, oh, Europe, oh, US. And you see that global pandemic starting, and, and you visualize that, I was born in 68. Uh, most of the people listening to the podcast today are probably born after 45. What I'm trying to say here, we never know, or most of us have never lived a war. We never went through that situation where things happen around you which are terrible, awful, people are dying. And then you are taken into this not as a witness, you're a part of it. That's what COVID reminds me a little bit. I've never, of course, seen any war. but. I would think it's some form of parallel to it. It's a different way of, of living. But now our life has changed. I wouldn't say forever, but for a long time. We don't know if we will ever be back to go back on what it used to be before. Traveling, going to restaurants, going to parties, and going to nightclubs, things like this may not happen for a long, long time. So you have two choices. You can say, well, or you can say, well, since that's happening, what can I do about it? And how should I react about it? So the restaurant. Again, I will give all the credit to, to Edina. She decided, when everybody decided to go doing takeaways, and which is what most of us have done, uh, we cook in the restaurant and we send it to you to, to finish at home, we decided to take a different aspect. We still do takeaway, but we wanted to recreate the aspect of a meal done the same way than you would restaurant. So it means and I don't want to send it to a taxi or to some company. I want my staff dressed into the staff uniform to bring it to your house. It's served into a box where you just open and you eat. You don't have anything to eat. You don't have anything to... You just open the box and eat. When you're done, you put the box outside and a few hours later I will come and collect. You don't have to wash because if you come to the restaurant, you don't wash anything. So there was this aspect. We tried to recreate the restaurant. How would it be if I could bring the same experience to you at home? That's what saved us. We didn't make money, but at least I didn't have to sack anybody. We had everything was paid without having to retrench people or making sure that we keep the whole team. Again, we are very fortunate in Singapore. We could reopen after a few months. And today, the business is okay. It's okay. For Singapore, I think we are pretty much on most, most of us uh, okay. What I look at when I look at the, at the world, there's nothing much I can do. 
So I look at the Buddhist expression, I say, you know, there's a problem, can you do something about it? Yes, therefore there's no problem. Can you do something about it? No, therefore there's no problem. <laughs> can I do something about COVID? Can I physically, me as a person, go and say, okay, I'm going to go in this lab and I'm going to inoculate 3.5 billion people? No, I can't. It's not in my world. The only thing I can do, what can I do? I can maybe get myself vaccinated, making sure that I don't pass out things to the people living on my roof or the people surrounding me, and I'm trying to get the very best out of it. So to answer your question, I would say that the only thing I would answer is try to think about what is the most positive things you can do with it. Instead of looking at it from a negative point of view, try to see if there's a positive things which can come out of it. Do you have more time at home? Should it be a good time for you to, I don't know, take some classes online? Uh, reconnect with people, read a book which you did. I don't know, there's a million of things which can come to my mind. And it's a change. We need to adapt to that change. But it is what life is all about. We, 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 you know, as humans, I think on one hand, we, we are craving from some form of stability, you know, just kind of routine which we need. But we also, from an individual point of view, I think we also like a little bit of surprise here and there. So now imagine that this big surprise just happened to you. What do you do with it? And it's a terrible surprise. I agree. It's a horrible thing. But can we pull something positive from an individual point of view about it? Can you do something for yourself and for the people around you? Which at the end of the day would say, hi, hey, you remember when you was COVID? Oh, yeah, that's the time when you did that for this guy. Da, 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 da. Rather than say, oh, you remember when it was going to say, oh, yeah, it was such a terrible time, everybody goes out. There's always two sides to a coin. So what's, what's the future of food uh, in a post-pandemic, let's just amuse yourself with that term for now? <laughs> well, if I knew, I would be probably um, a multimillionaire. <laughs> all right. So what's the future of a food experience um, when we have to put our mask on the side, when we're all vaccinated and we've gone through this pandemic, there's not another one that comes as the next tsunami wave. Does it come back? Uh, is that muscle still there? Do we have, do we eat on Zoom? Um, is there a really um, significant chasm that just happened, but it happened really quietly because it took the name of COVID rather than we're changing the food industry, we're changing restoration, we're ch changing the experience of eating. Um, do you think that future moves online? Do you think technology is a part to play in it? I think there's not one size fits all <laughs> answer. I think there's a lot of potential. So each time you have a crisis, it also, again, the two sides, it, also, it gives you as many opportunities that give you problems. It is a time for people to be creative. It is a time for people who had no resources before to find and the little bit of resource they have today is by far stronger than people with massive resources before. Um, what I would think is to look at whatever you do in the rest, if you talk specifically about restaurants, people, the beauty about restaurants is that people will always want to eat. Dis disregarding race, religion, age, Everybody loves to have a good meal. This is something which is, we all know it. So now, how can I bring that good meal to people? If they don't come to me, what do I do? It's the opportunity to say, well, you know, doing fine dining and all the little detailing on food and stuff like this is, is really hard. It's a very niche market. My will is to go and tap more people. What should I look at? Should I create a new product or, or go on a line of product, look at some other ways to do things? It's 
I like that question, and I feel like I, I could answer 100 things. Uh, looking at around here, I would say, well, if tomorrow people say, well, there's a second wave coming and you cannot get out of the house, well, I'm equipped here to see if uh, I could eventually... Survival like, yeah, mode. Okay, I've got a special kitchen, but I've got a vacuum pack machine. I think, okay, should I do like sauce for people? I could do... My dad used to do a bolognese sauce I was crazy about when I was a kid. Should I do bolognese sauce and retail bolognese sauce online? And then my bolognese sauce would be made with, I don't know, maybe I could do a, a new one or something which is organic or which is vegetarian or using uh, fake meat or something. I don't know. Try. There's so many things which we have an opportunity to do. What happens with something like COVID is that it shifts the way we used to do things always the same way. It's just always the same routine doing things. And it's a form. It's, it's, conformed. It, it is the way it should be. Today, there's no way it should be. You can, you can really play with that. If I was 30 years younger or even 20 years younger, I would drag out of this such an energy. It, it would really boost me, give me so much opportunities because we all start at zero. We all start at the same level. It's not something, you know, oh, I've got 20 years of COVID behind me. I know how to handle this. No, no. Everybody starts at the same point. We started in, I don't know, January 2020 at point zero. And there was not one specialist who would say, hey, I know better than the other. Even if there were a couple of them, fine. But there was nobody who would say, hey, I experienced that before. So we all start. It's a, it's a kind of great, like, press reset button and everybody starts from zero. Okay, the people who have a bit more assets, financial or materials, or a bit more resources or whatever, but was that asset, if that asset was valid in the old world, is it post-COVID still valid? How can I change that? I have no money. I repeat, to me, the first thing I would do, I would do a podcast. <laughs> I would do something which I would touch millions of people. I would speak online to, to try to, you know, to make people's life better. Um, of course, I'm in food, so for me, I would be super happy to to give regular talks on, on TV, on, on to schools, to to anything about. That's the right time to educate people about about food, for instance, about sports, about meditation, about whatever you want to do. So yeah. you want to be the mentor that you didn't have? I'd love that. I'd love that. I think also with age comes that kind of thing where I can now share. Uh, it's badly time. needed. It's badly needed in terms of health, in terms of not just your industry, so many industries. People are working shift. This past pandemic has shown that they've been very affected by, in their personal life, not just by the risk of their, the health pandemic, but by doubling up on the originally very poor lifestyle behavior induced by the work they do. And these people are completely forgotten in the sense that we remember to clap them we remember to think about them when uh, a loved one is about to be intubated. But we don't think that every single day before COVID, they had shift, just like you did, like all the chefs in the world. And there's very little support about what do you do if you have addiction, if you can't take it anymore, if you're not motivated anymore. How do you sort your life out? There's nothing for them in that industry as well as yours. So your mentoring thing is badly needed. It's better to do a small thing every day than to do not do anything at all. <clears throat> when I said earlier, there's nothing I can do about COVID, there's nothing I can do about it, it's true. On the other hand, 
I also said that there's not one size fits all. I have a certain way to do things. It may work for me, it may work for some people, it may not work for everybody. Um, I teach meditation. That's one of the things I started again recently. And I realized that some people are... It, 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 it resonates with some people. And I would think that if I had me teaching myself 20 years ago, I'd say, what are you hell doing with your own thing? I would joke and I probably would step out of the room. So maybe today people are a little bit more ready to, to listen. Maybe, as I say, after all, it can be taken as a good thing. With a terrible disaster it creates, if we can take that thing to a certain form of positivity, because we've got no choice anyway, I think that's the best we can do for ourselves. Now, how, what may attract people to different again, race, background, social background, is language, there is uh, ethnicity in the, sum, in the sense of tradition. I, I live, my family is Chinese, so I live with people who have a different way of looking at life and eating and, and, and doing things than my, myself. And I think it's also an amazing time to share that with people in the sense And now I take the time to listen and to see how people are doing, erecting to, to, to things like this. I spend more time with my father-in-law, which is a Kung Fu master, he's got his own way of doing meditation in the past I would say year of COVID, I had more interaction with him than in the past 20 years. I've been married with my wife and he's been with me around, but I don't speak to him because I don't have the time or I don't have the, the opportunity. I've discovered somebody in my life which I didn't know existed. He's under my roof. <laughs> so sometimes you can pay attention to all those little things and think, Instead of looking at it from a very negative point of view, try to look at all the blessings you have in your life. And I think if you have the means to listen to that podcast, which means you already have a phone or a computer, you have an internet connection, you have enough money to have electricity to plug your phone into it, and you probably have food and water and clothes on you, it's already pretty much better than 3 billion people living in India or in Africa and things like this. Wow, that's a great news to start the day. Just that will just put me in a good mood to start my day. With that kind of good news, what can go wrong to me today? And then I can move on. Right. So, Emmanuel, to wrap up this very interesting small journey that we did take together, um, I'd like you to share with the auditor um, your view, and as a chef, I think the metaphor is pretty easy. And it's a pretty corny one, considering that you're a chef. But if life is really a dish, then what's your weird sauce? And please be very specific. So somebody somewhere out there will listen to this and say, that ingredient I have, and therefore it'll do just what you were hoping for. It will inspire them. Twelve, uh, about twelve years ago, I've met a gentleman who, who changed my life. Uh, it was so we talked about it, you know, alcohol, work, whatever going on, and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> he said to me that the life I live will always be a reflection of the thought I have in my mind. If 
I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, it's going to be a terrible day today and I'm going to, chances are the universe, everything around you will go to other things. And he said, the best thing I would teach you, or I would recommend you to do, is a regular practice of meditation. So my weird source is that, is that different aspect of yoga, which is not the asana part, not the physical part. So yoga comes, I've got two minutes, I'm going to just cover this one. Yoga, from my tradition, comes into eight steps. The first two steps are called the Yama and the Niyama, which are very similar into the Christian tradition, for instance, to the Ten Commandments. What you should not do and what you should do. Not killing, <coughs> ahimsa, not inflicting pain around you. That's why a lot of yogis are vegetarian. Uh, not stealing, not lying, not cheating, da da da. The Niyama is more what you should be doing. I was talking about Santosha, for instance, self-contentment. Be happy with what you have, because we have a lot. And uh, we don't always be grateful. Just, you know, say thank you. Realize that things around you which not everybody has. That is an aspect of life which makes me be able to sit down and be quiet with myself, because I didn't do anything bad in my day. I didn't steal, I didn't kill, clearly, I didn't do anything really silly. And I go back home and I say, well, today I tried to do the very best I could do around me for the people around me. So I'm in kind of peace with myself. Therefore, the asana part, the physical part of yoga is technically asana is just being able to sit down into a comfortable pose. Asana means comfort. The way I'm seated, for instance, it's kind of an asana, technically. And the third step, the fourth step, so is pranayama, which is breathing exercise. So we've got the breath with us all the time, and we think uh, something happened just now. <gasps> I'm breathing. You know, you have a, almost a car accident. The first thing you take that breath, <gasps> I'm breathing now. Um, with so many expressions, so many words about breathing. When a baby is born, he takes his first breath. When somebody passes, he just takes his last breath. There's so many things about breathing which we don't always realize. So that is something which I've learned. I've learned to breathe. And that's, that sounds like stupid thing to say, but it is what I do. I sit down every single day of my life. I've got over 2,000 hours of recorded meditation where I will sit down every single day of my life and breathe. Breathe and pay attention to my breathing. So that's all. Meditation is nothing else. It's not like, oh, I'm starting to see uh, funny things. No, that's a drug. It's a different story. Meditation is just breathing. <laughs> Sorry. So when you breathe, you just pay attention to your breathing and your mind goes there. And you try to forget a little bit about what you think you are, what you think you're thinking. I don't like, there's not many things I don't like. Let's think of something I don't like. I don't like, I'm not a big fan of durian. Durian is a funny fruit for people who don't know what it is. It smells like cheese. But my wife loves durian. Um, why am I going there? Sorry, I forget. I lost my train of thought with the durian. The, the meditation allows me to see things a much quieter way. When I get out of it, it allows me to see with clarity. It's trying to step out of the noise in my head. I was talking about the puppy in the park with a squirrel running around. I basically remove the squirrel. I'm probably still a puppy, but I'm still a puppy alone. And now I'm focusing on the bone, which is there, and I'm just scratching on the bone. And it helped me into everything I do. In my professional life, I was so distracted all the time, going left, right, center. Now I do something, I finish it, and I move to the next task, and then I go this way. With my kids, I make sure that if we go on Sunday, 
play basketball in the field, I make sure that we play basketball on the field. It's not I'm with my phone, halfway there answering an email, making sure. No, I'm with the kids for an hour, and that's one hour for them. And I come back, I eat, and we eat, and we sit down, and we eat. And for that hour, we're going to eat and have a conversation on the table. We're not going to start to you know, wake up and just go there and start the laundry or go at the back of the car. And no, everything I do, I try to do it with some form of, of conscience. And when I sleep, that's where the breath, breathing comes back into it. Oh, my mind has slipped. Come back into it. So you can practice it anywhere. Waiting, I was just at the clinic earlier. I went to get some stuff for the pharmacy. I had to wait 40 minutes for this medication to be ready. I sit down and I see a lot of people around me watching TV on their phone and stuff like this. I'm not judging. Everybody is free to do whatever they want. And, but I find my time sitting down and I close my eyes and I feel like people may look at me like I'm sleeping. And I'm just breathing. I'm fully awake. I'm fully awake. I'm probably more awake because with that, I can pay attention to every single little noise. If I do it with my eyes open, I will be so attentive to every little detail. It's not posing judgment. It's just saying, oh, that guy has a red ring. It's not, oh, I don't like red ring. It's just realizing things which are around you where you pay much more attention. So you bring this into every single aspect of your life, your life changes. It cannot not change. If you eat a strawberry with that in mind, you will not chew on a fruit. You will see that burst of fruitiness coming in. You've got the acidity of the strawberry. You've got that flavor. You've got the juice running on your tongue. You, you can really like fully describe what you're eating, and that's amazing. So that really changes your life. And when you have a conversation with somebody, you're fully with that person for the time you're doing it. So you pay your full attention to it. It's not like, oh, yes, I'm talking to you, but I'm also thinking about what that woman is going to cook and what message I need to send later. If did I order bread for two? No, I'm with you for one hour. And then after that, we do the rest. That would be my weird source. I would say, in my case, I would recommend everybody to try yoga. Not a physical part of the yoga, but whatever else brings it. And the beauty of it is not about religion, it's not about a name like God, Jesus, Allah, whatever you want to call it, it's nothing. It is spiritual, for sure. We something up there, but it is not something which implies, oh, you didn't come to church on Sundays, you're not a good person. No, it's for yourself. And because you progress in yourself, you make people around you progressing. My biggest fear for the longest time was to talk about this. I was very shy about, about that part of my life. I, 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 I hide it for a long time in that sense that, would I tell my guys in the kitchen, you know, guys with the tattoos, the bags, the cigar, that I'm going to sit and I'm going to meditate for half an hour? No, I don't think so. I think he's going to laugh at me. I don't think I'm going to lose my grip on that guy because I'm his boss, I'm his chef or whatever, and I need to direct that guy. So he need to, and he need to respect me. I need to be stronger than him. And I realized, no, it's, it's wrong. There's something wrong here. This is what I do. Guys, I do yoga. I try to implement that in the restaurant, so before shift, occasionally, I don't do it every day, I should, but I have to admit I don't do it every day, but I try to sit everybody down, and for five minutes, before we invite the customers to come in, sit everybody down and close your eyes, and I just move, move the chi from one part of the, you know, it's a simple exercise we do, and little, little things. So my weird source is that, is, is really be a bit more present, that would be the best way I can put it. Emmanuel Strauban. Thank you very much for your presence and thank you for your time, which is very precious. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs> if this conversation stopped you in your track, share it with your network. You never know whose life you might change for the better. Thank you for listening. Stay curious about our next guest and stay curious about life.